Good morning. Welcome to Tomball Bible Church. My name is Skeet. I'm the senior pastor. It's my pleasure uh, to open God's Word with you uh, this morning. We have uh, begun a series back at Easter called All Things New, where we are digging into the words of Scripture to see the gifts that we get from God at the moment of salvation, how God, through our faith in Jesus and the working of His Spirit, is transforming us to be entirely new people, remade in the image of Jesus. What we saw is that we have a new hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and we have the beginning of Jesus doing this transformative work in us. We saw that because of our faith in Christ, we've been given a new purpose, a purpose to take the good news of Jesus to the nations. And to make disciples wherever we find ourselves. And we've seen last week that we have the gift of a new family. That we've been adopted as God's children. And we've been given the gift of brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage us and walk with us. And what we want to do today is to look at this simple reality that we have new strength from God when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. That we have strength from Him and that He empowers us to do everything that He's asked us to do. And what I want to do this morning is to jump into the Old Testament before we start. Because I think one thing is true of us. Is that if we know the stories of the Old Testament and the heroes of the Old Testament, sometimes we read this thing in a way that elevates them to a position maybe they they shouldn't have. And I hope maybe we just look quickly at a few of the stories of the men of the Old Testament and to see how these great heroes uh, were used by God. And to see kind of who they are. And maybe if we're reading uh, the story just a little off sometimes. And if you're not familiar with these stories. If you didn't grow up in church and and hear about the great men of the faith growing up. You'll see a pattern of God's movement established for the first time. And so I want to begin with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses is an important figure in the Bible. He writes the first five books of the Bible. He's the central human figure in the story of the Exodus. And if you're not familiar with that, Charlton Heston did a great movie called Ten Commandments. More frequent, more recently, there's a DreamWorks one. We'll catch you up to speed. The basic story is this. The people of Israel live in Egypt as slaves to the greatest empire in the known world. Moses was raised there in the house of Pharaoh and is in exile. And he finds himself as a shepherd for the last 40 years working for this father-in-law in the middle of nowhere when God calls him. And Exodus chapter 3 records this conversation he has with God where God tells Moses, I'm going to send you to Egypt to set my people Free, And I want you to see this interaction beginning in verse 10. You're going to need your Bibles today. If you don't have one, you'll see them on the ground at the end of each row. You'll find a paperback. I want to encourage you uh, to grab that. So starting off in in Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. God says, Come and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the God, God on this mountain. So I want you to see the interchange here. Uh, the moment that Moses walks into this interaction with God, his self-esteem appears to be somewhat low. 
He's no longer the prince of Egypt with great power and might. He's an exile. He's a guy who believes he's not really useful to God. And so God says, I'm going to send you to the greatest empire in the world. And you're going to stand before the greatest ruler in the world. And you're going to say, let these people go. And eventually he's going to say, yes. So, so go, Moses. Now, Moses says, who am I? I'm the last person you should send. I'm not only not a guy they don't know, I'm a guy that they might want to kill. So why would I go back? And God says, don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll go with you. And so Moses goes and God goes with him. And, and if you know the story, eventually, because of the mighty hand of God, Pharaoh relents. In fact, this story is so central to the people of Israel that it is the defining story of who they are. So for us as Christians, we want to remember God's goodness and God's power. We go back to communion or the Lord's table. We remember that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. For the people of Israel, it was the story of the Exodus over and over again as the defining story of them as a people. Where they would be reminded that God had delivered them with a mighty hand. And there were feasts and festivals set up throughout the year that would point to that. The largest of that, which was Passover. Right, where they'd gather to celebrate this feast. So remember that, that God had passed over them and had judgment upon the Egyptians. And, and the son, the youngest son, would ask at the table, why is this night different from any other? And the father would respond, because on this night we remember that God delivered us from Egypt with a mighty hand. And over and over again the story would be retold. And the man at the center of that is a man who says, ah, who am I to go? And God says, I'll be with you. Now, the story continues as they move out of Egypt and God delivers them. They begin to come to the Jordan River, which is the boundary to the promised land. They're going to go over to take the land and a new leader emerges and his name is Joshua. In Joshua chapter one, we hear the story of God calling Joshua to this leadership role. In Joshua chapter one, verse two, it says, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory and no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In verse nine, he continues as he closes this section of scripture and God says, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So the people move into the land and they experience great victories. They don't entirely dispossess all the other people that are there. And, and, and so what would happen over the generations is that the people would live faithfully to God for a season. And then they would begin to be unfaithful. And God would look upon their unfaithfulness. He would begin to remove his protection from them. And when doing that, would allow other nations to come in and take uh, oppressive roles over the people of Israel. And so when the people would see in their oppression and in their suffering that they needed God, they would cry out to him in repentance and God would raise up a leader to deliver them. And those leaders in the Bible are called judges. And so aptly their stories are recorded in the book of Judges. And you find the story of a few judges quite compelling. The first is you'll find in chapter six, the story of a man named Gideon. It says, the angel of the Lord came, in verse 11, and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abersite, 
while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. I want to just pause there. What, what you're going to see is the reality of life for the people of Israel is they're trying to take the wheat harvest to feed their families for the rest of the year, but they have to do it in secrecy because the Midianites will come raid them and rob them and they'll have to figure out how to eat if they can for the rest of the year. And so he's hiding in a wine press. He is not a brave and mighty man. So God comes to him. He says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Now, the angel of the Lord came. Oh, let's go on. Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Did not I send you? And he said to him. Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midians as Midianites as one man. Now, the story continues. They're delivered from the Midianites for a season. Eventually, uh, the Philistines rise up and take rulership over them. And they begin to cry out again, and God raises up another judge. This one, a man named Samson, who was always my favorite as a child. Because in my children's uh, Bible, uh, right about a third of the way through, there's this amazing picture of Samson. And the only way I could tell you is to look at the paperback novels that they market to women. Samson's that guy. And he's barrel-chested, and he's wearing a loincloth, and he's got foxes in a wheat field with their tails on fire as they run and wreak havoc throughout the Philistines' wheat fields. And I thought, that is a man. Now, here's the thing with Samson. The appearance from the outside, he looks amazing. He's a bit of a buffoon. He's never really faithful to God, yet God uses him in spite of it. And I want you to see, as the story plays out, Samson is gone. He's called a ruckus with the Philistines. The Philistines have come to the men of Judah, and they've said, look, you give us Samson, or or we're going to get you. And so they go to Samson in Judges, and they begin to address him in chapter 15, verse 12. So this is what the men of Judah do. They said to him, We have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When they came to Lehi, the Philistines came out shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put his hand to it and took it and with it struck a thousand men. I love that. This conveniently placed donkey's jawbone but just before that you get this interesting phrase The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. In fact, that phrase is used several times to describe Samson just before he does some amazing feat that he's going to deliver Israel. He's going to put victory over their enemies. You get this phrase, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Now, there's another great hero in the Scriptures, a man named David. 
David's probably my favorite man in the story of the Bible, if you, other than Jesus, right? Jesus is the obvious first. So for every Christian who's someone in history you'd like to meet, it's Jesus. Who's someone from the Bible you want to meet, it's Jesus. But if you take Jesus off and we say other than Jesus, David is up there. Because David is a shepherd and a poet and a songwriter and a warrior and a worshiper. In fact, this summer we're going to be going through the life of David for the duration of the summer. But when you look at David, David's about to go to the most significant event of his life. He's headed, at least in our stories, we always remember David and Goliath. There's a lot about David, but this is the great story that has gone down in history for us. This David and Goliath, the child, the boy versus the giant. And what I want you to see in 1 Samuel chapter 17 is not just the story of the sling and the giant laying dead, but the interaction between Goliath and David when David goes to meet him, because it's very telling about what David understands to be going on at that moment. So chapter 17, verse 43. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Now watch David's response. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So I want you to think is David, this impetuous kid with a sling, is standing in front of the great giant with all of his armor and weaponry. And he says, who do you think I am that you're going to come to me with a boy? Am I a dog that you're going to attack? And David says, who do you think you are? That you defy God. God's going to deliver you into my hand today. Not just you, but your entire army. And you will be routed. Now I want you to look at all these stories. I want you to see something about these, these men. The heroes in the story are never the hero. The hero is always God who moves in some exceptional way through normal people and does exceptional things. David isn't exceptional. God is exceptional. Gideon isn't exceptional. God is exceptional. Moses isn't exceptional. God is exceptional. So I want you to see this pattern of God moving throughout history is through men and women that he has strengthened and empowered to accomplish something in human history. It is God who moves. It is God who wins the victory. The men and the women, they just show up. And they're faithful, but the moving and the strength and the power is all from God. And so we begin with this, is that if something mighty and useful is going to happen in our lives, if we're going to walk faithfully to Jesus in victory over sin, if we're going to be used by Him in some significant way, it's not going to be our strength, but it's going to be His. And that's the pattern that is set up for us throughout Scripture. Not just the promise when we come to the church, but the history of God moving through His people. Is for him to strengthen common people to do extraordinary things. And so I want us to begin with this. Is that us being strengthened and empowered to do whatever God has called us to do. Is going to start and end with the work of the Spirit of God. 
It is by his spirit strengthening us that we will be made strong. There's a few scriptures I want you to to go to. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is a great place to start. Some of you may have committed it to memory. Jesus is speaking to his disciples prior to the spirit coming. So he's about to be ascended to heaven and he's going to send the spirit of God to them. And this is what he says. But I but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So here's the promise. When the spirit comes, you will receive power. Conversely, without the spirit, you do not have power. When when will we have power? When the spirit comes upon us. And so then the kind of Annie is up as we begin to speak more in the scripture about the kind of empowerment that we get when the spirit comes. Romans chapter eight, verse 11 is a significant scripture that I would encourage you to write down. Commit to memory It says that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So, so there's a couple things going on here that are very, very important. One is we know we'll receive power when the Spirit comes. But when the Spirit comes, it's, it's distinct from what uh, guys like Samson experienced through the Spirit rushed upon him at moments to empower him. The promise here is the Spirit's going to indwell you. He's going to reside in you. So much so that the New Testament is going to say our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in a continual, ongoing, unceasing way, the Spirit of God is with us. And this is how God fulfills the promise to always be with us and never leave or forsake us. He sends His Spirit to indwell us. So we're empowered, and it's the same power, the same strength and might at work in us because it's the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. This is life-changing strength and power that we receive upon faith in Jesus. And I want you to know this. This is the moment that we believe. At the moment that we believe that Jesus is the only Son of God who died for our sins and rose again, this happens. This isn't some second blessing for those who really want it or act really good and ask really hard. This is something that happens at the moment of faith. The Spirit of God indwells us, empowers and strengthens us. And and there's a, a few ways that the Spirit is going to strengthen us. He's going to do it, one, directly through His presence... And then two, indirectly, through his word and his people. So I want to talk about these for a moment. We get clearly in Romans 8 the idea that he indwells us. That he is a direct, active presence with us. God with us. Romans chapter 8 is going to go further and talk about the intercessory role of the Spirit. He says, likewise, in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So I want you to see a few ways that we have the Spirit directly working to strengthen and empower us. The first is his indwelling presence. In addition to that, there are the spiritual gifts that he gives us where the spirit, when he comes, he enables us to have effective ministry because he's given us abilities and gifts to be used for the building up of the body, for the advancement of the gospel. In addition to that, as we pray in our weakness, the spirit is present and he's praying with us. It's such an amazing thing. The scripture says when we don't know how to pray. That there will be times in life we don't know how to pray. And, and there's a couple ways that happens. Sometimes we're in a circumstance and we just don't know what is best. And so we don't know what to ask God to do. I don't know what's best. And so God, I'm just, I'm, I, I'm asking you to, to move in some mighty way that we'll, we'll see it and we'll worship you. But I, I don't know what's best. 
sometimes the, the gravity of the moment overtakes us and we just don't know how to pray. We can, we can barely think. And I know some, some of us have been through those moments. We had just a split second of that when our oldest son, Jack, was an infant. I'd been a dad for about three months, so I had a lot of experience. And, and there were irregular things in his blood work, and so we go see the doctor. And after a few kind of rounds of this, they send us to see a pediatric hematologist. And here's the thing. Those are big words with lots of syllables, and no one told me that that guy was also a pediatric oncologist. And so... So, no suspense, Jack was fine. These were minor things, but for a moment, we walk off the elevator doors open at Children's Hospital in Dallas, and we walk out, and what I see is pediatric oncology and lots of kids going through chemo. And for a split second, right, as a dad, I don't know how to pray. And and the only thing running through my head is, please, God, please, please, please. That's that's, For a split second, that's all I can pray. So we have moments like that. Some of you, those moments have stretched a lot longer, and, and... and have great compassion for you. But, but we have that. Sometimes we just don't know what to ask for. And other times we're just so wrecked by the moment we don't know how to ask for anything. But in that moment, the promise is that the Spirit of God, He's there and He's interceding for us. He's praying. He knows what we need. And so He is taking the request of what we need before the Lord. So we have this direct strengthening work of the Spirit in our weakness. We also have these indirect ministries. And the first is this indirect ministry of the Word of God. And I call it indirect because God did not reveal the words of Scripture to me. And I did not sit down with parchment and pen and write them. He did that for us through other people. So these words are breathed out by God, delivered to the apostles and prophets, and then handed to us that we might be strengthened, enlightened, convicted, encouraged. So the Spirit works indirectly through the Scriptures. And in addition to that, John 16, Jesus promises that a ministry of the Spirit will be to illuminate the Word of God for us. Look at John 16, verse 13. It says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. And He will glorify Me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. We have this promise that the Spirit of God at work in us will lead us into truth. One of the things that practically means is we sit down to read our Bibles and the Spirit of God, all of a sudden, He is working so that we can comprehend, understand, and apply them. I believe that when we get alone with our scriptures or we get in a small group with other people digging into the Word of God, that the Spirit of God, all of a sudden, there's, there's fire There's fuel being thrown on the fire here. The scriptures say we can quench the spirit. Conversely, when we jump into the word of God, we are fueling his work in our lives. We're giving him ammunition to work on. As he is present and we're digging into his word, he strengthens us. Beyond just his word is the presence of his people. See, see, this is a beautiful thing, is that if the Spirit of God is at work in me and He's changing me and He's strengthening me and He's giving me gifts for ministry, that the Spirit of God at work in other people is available to me as well as a resource. So, so 1 Corinthians 12 gives these gifts of the Spirit to us. And if you want to look there in verse 4, you'll see just a description of the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians. It says now in verse 4 of chapter 12, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Just stop there. There's lots of gifts that the church needs to function. There's lots of people that have them, but the same God empowers those gifts in everyone. So every believer comes to the table 
with spirit-empowered giftedness to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. And what that practically means, we just think about that, is that the Spirit of God is resonant and active with every believer in this room, and He has gifted you with things that we all need to be strengthened. And so if, if I'm not connected to, one, to other Christians, right? If I'm not connected to you, I miss out on what you bring to the table. It's one of the things that, guys, just, when we talk about gathering for church attendance that is so important, is sometimes we think in terms of what we need. Like, I, I, don't, I don't need to go today to worship. I don't, I'm okay. But what we don't think about is what we leave on the table. Right? What doesn't come when I come? What word of encouragement needed to be spoken that I wasn't there to give? And, and so we have this work of the Spirit through other people. So much so that later in 1 Corinthians 12, he describes the church as a body. And, and the parts need one another. So you, you think about how muscles work. There's, you, you spend time building strength. I don't. I don't go to the gym. Um, this is all natural right here. The reason I don't go to the gym, I've seen a, a plenty of ambulances at the gym. And I've decided that's where people go to die. I, I believe that, that my life expectancy is up two to three years because I don't work out. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I'm going with it. But here's what would happen. If you go, you work out, you exercise, you're going to build muscle. Those muscles will be stronger. But the strongest bicep in the world, which is obviously not mine, doesn't work unless a whole bunch of other things function too. Blood flow and oxygen have to consistently move out to that muscle, which means if there's an obstruction, then all of a sudden it's not that strong. The, the, the most amazing physique in the world, if the heart quits working, is just a dead man. Is that we need one another to be strengthened and empowered to do what it is we've been called to do. And that's a work of the Spirit of God. It's indirect, but it's a work of the Spirit of God. And so we have this empowering work of God available to us directly and in His indwelling, gifting, and intercession, but also indirectly through His Word and through His people. Now, here's the question for us. For what? Like, why would God strengthen us? See, this is basic troubleshooting. This is how troubleshooting works. Your stuff breaks, whether it's your modem, your internet connection, your laptop. You call uh, the people with tech support, and, and they do a couple things. They're going to ask the first question, which is annoying to me. Because I know enough. Like, I know enough to know what I broke, but not enough to know how to fix it. So don't ask me, is it plugged in? I know it's plugged in. I'm smart enough to operate the phone. I know it's plugged in. So, so that's the first question. But in spiritual terms, that's really the first question. That's what we just addressed. Are you plugged in? Right? Are, are, are you connected to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Has the Spirit indwelled you? Are you then pursuing strengthening from Him through His Word and through His people? Are you plugged in? And then the second question is like, okay, are, are you using the printer as a coaster? Are you doing the right thing with it? Because if you're not using it the way it was designed, it won't work. If you think you're going to use it to chalk the tiles on your trailer and then bring it back into the house and use it as a printer, you're going to run into problems. Because you're not using it the way it was intended. So the question for us after we decide, are we plugged into the means in which God empowers us? Is are we doing what he has empowered us to do? Because the whole thing haywires if we think that God strengthens us just so we can be strong. He doesn't do that. He's just not going, look how strong they'll get. He's doing it for a reason. And we already saw a bit of what that reason was when we looked at Acts chapter 1. But I want to talk about three 
things, specifically scriptures tells us that God has empowered us for. All right, the first is God has empowered us to live lives of holiness. It is the work of God in us to transform us into victory over our sinful desires, living in lives of godliness that honor Jesus because we're ambassadors of Christ. We're not just as ambassadors professionally and we go, okay, we, we've come to represent Jesus. This is what Jesus says. No, we are representatives of Jesus personally in that we are intended to reflect his character. And it's the work of God in us to transform us so that we rightly reflect who he is to the world around us. And we get these amazing promises from the scripture. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is amazing. It tells us His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So he says, everything you need... To live a godly life by the power of God you've been given. For what reason? We, we get the, His glory and excellence. His praise being seen. So God's given us everything we need. In addition to that, we're going to face temptation. And God has promised us that when we face temptation, not only has He strengthened us to hold up under it, He's also given us a means of escape. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I want you to think about it. We've been given everything we need to live lives of godliness. In addition to that, when we fall into temptation, we've been given a means of escape. And James is going to come back and say, look, don't blame God when you get tempted. No one can say God is tempting me. You're tempted when you're enticed by your own sinful desires. But, but even in that, we've been given a way out. An escape hatch has been made available to us so that we can live rightly before God. We're not going to do it perfectly, but God has never abandoned us. He's given us everything we need over time, more and more, and increasingly to walk in godliness and holiness. And, and so he expects that of us and he desires that from us. In addition to that, we've been given everything we need to live on mission. See, we're not just going to go be holy and, and morally pure and not engage with the world. That's not what God wants for us. He wants us to engage the world with mission. You see that in Acts 1.8 with the promise of the Spirit of God coming. He says, you're going to receive power so that you may be my witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That fundamental to the empowering work of the Spirit is the expectation that the people of God will be empowered by the Spirit of God to accomplish the work of God. So we're not just trying to be holy. We're going to be faithful and embrace the mission to share the gospel, make disciples of the nations. And that's expected of us. Now, it's a difficult task, which is why we need to be empowered. If this was easy, we wouldn't need the promise of the Spirit coming. He would say, hey, go do this. This is going to be a piece of cake. It's hard. One of the reasons it's difficult is because we know that the gospel is offensive. We're going to tell someone, you're a sinner, and because of that, you deserve God's judgment. And Jesus is the only means of escape. So people are going to react negatively to that at times. Sometimes, Jesus tells them in Matthew 24, so much so uh, that you'll be delivered up to persecution and hated. And then he says, go. See, one of the interesting things right now, there's about 3,000 unreached people groups, which is a little over 1.5 billion people in the world. And when we say unreached people groups, this is what we mean. They have not ever heard 
of Jesus. There is no one there to share the gospel with them. So practically what that means is they will live, grow up, get married, have children, and die, and never hear the good news of Jesus. So when we say unreached, this is different from just someone who's not a believer. Right? You go to work with people who are not believers, but they're not unreached because you have the gospel and they have you. We're talking about people who have no reasonable expectation of ever hearing the good news of Jesus. And you want to know the reason those people groups are unreached? They're hard to reach. It's difficult to get to them. It's, they, we don't even know their languages. They've never been recorded. Maybe they killed the last missionary who went. Who wants to be second after that happened? This is hard. And because it's a difficult task that's left in front of us, we need the Spirit to empower us. We need Him to strengthen us to go and to do the mission He's called us to. That doesn't mean we back away from the mission. It means we press in and we look to God to strengthen us to accomplish it. Because we go under the promise that He'll complete the task. And lastly, we're to live steadfastly. So so we've been empowered to live in lives of holiness, we've been empowered to live lives of mission, but we've been empowered to live steadfast, to endure. Which isn't really its own thing, right? It's the continuation of the other two for as long as it takes. It's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, the road will get tough, and what we want you to do is just keep moving. And it's the Spirit of God that comes and gives us strength in that day. That day when we don't know how we keep pressing, He's the one who strengthens us and enables us to keep moving. I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 10 of 1 Peter. It says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you have suffered a little while. So, so the road's going to get tough. But when it does, you press in and God will strengthen you. And there are great promises for those who endure. And the Spirit of God is the one who enables us, who strengthens, establishes, and confirms us when we endure. And, and so here's the good news, is that we have these promises from God of what He's going to do for us. But, but where it meets today is where I begin to have trouble because I have these promises. God has given you everything you need and He will give you the strength to endure. But today I don't feel strong. Like There are days that I wake up and I, I feel very weak. And to be honest, I feel entirely unprepared, unqualified to do what I know God wants me to do. So what do I do on that day? Which will come. Well, the first thing I do is I recognize the difference between objective truth and my feelings. And there are things that are true regardless of how I feel about them. There are things that are true. And I cling to the truth even when my emotions don't line up with what I know to be true. Second of that I would tell you is that sometimes when you feel weak, that is true. And it's a good thing to know. I want you to remember what we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, when we described this intercessory work of the Spirit of God. He says, the Spirit strengthens us in our weakness. When we are weak is the moment that God strengthens us. So, so if you go, I just don't feel strong right now. Perfect. 
Because in that moment, that's the moment that the strength of the Spirit of God begins to well up because you have come to the place where you realize that you can't do this. You have no illusion of your own grandeur and ability to accomplish whatever you need to do. You just come spent and empty before God. And you go, God, if you don't do this, it won't happen. And so I'm pleading with you. And God says, oh, he finally figured it out. Spirit, strengthen him. Give him what he needs to continue. So much so that in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul, when talking about his weakness before God, I want you to hear what Jesus said to him. Paul's prayed and asked God to take something from him. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ will rest upon me. Paul says that he brags about his weakness because when he recognizes his weakness, the strength of God becomes apparent. So, yes, you're you're weak. But God is strong and admitting that and coming to grips with that is the step of submission that unleashes the Spirit's work and strengthening and empowering you. Now, I want to move quickly because I want to explain something. Everything that we just laid out, all these promises, all these ways that the Spirit of God strengthens us, all these things He wants to do in us are only for His people. If you do not belong to him, you're not in Christ, you have no reasonable expectation of his strength and empowering you. So if you came in here today and you need God's strength to to go on the next day, I'm just telling you, if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't trusted that he is the only son of God who died for your sins and rose again, this isn't available to you. So I'm not saying that to, to go, oh, look what we have and you don't. What I'm saying is run to him today that he might strengthen and lift you up. Place your faith in Him as the only Savior of the world whose death on the cross and resurrection was sufficient and that your response is to simply trust Him. And His empowering work will begin immediately at the moment of faith. So so here's what I, I would just like to do as we close. One is to say if you came here today and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, let today be the day of salvation. I've lived just long enough to know that I don't want to go this alone. And that my God has promised not only save me from sin and the judgment that I deserve in the future, but he's promised to never leave or forsake me and to strengthen me for whatever comes ahead. And and, and I couldn't imagine walking through life without that. And I would implore you today to place your faith in Jesus. And, And secondly, if you're here today and you're a believer in Christ and you just feel busted and empty, and you need God to strengthen and fill you, we want you to receive encouragement today. And so what I want to ask is if you're here today, and you you just feel at the end of your rope, and you don't know how you move forward, you don't know how you're going to get the strength for whatever lays ahead, that we want to pray for you. And so I'm not expecting you to spill your whole story of your life with anyone else. What I am asking you to do is in a moment when the band comes up, just to stand up and for those around you to pray for you. You see, we should have no shame in admitting weakness before God. The Apostle Paul, who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, says, I will boast in my weakness. So have no shame in standing up and going, I, I need Jesus now. And I need to be strengthened. Would you do that so your brothers and sisters in Christ could lift you up? Would you stand right now? If you just at a spot where you go, I don't know how to move forward if God doesn't do something. Would you stand so we can pray for you? And if someone around you stands, would you just gather around them and lift them up in prayer? We want to bless you today. So if you're in need of prayer, would you stand?
If people do stand, you gather around them and lift them up in prayer for God to bless, strengthen, establish, and comfort them.